Hello, beloved. This is Pastor Steve Castle. I'm so honored that you've chosen to listen to us today. If there's any additional information that you need, please visit our website at www.belovedchurchillinois.com. We thank you that you are continuing to give God an opportunity to minister to your hearts. He has amazing, wonderful plans for your life. We would love to join you on the journey of you finding out the depths of the relationship that you could have with Him. You were created in His image for a beautiful purpose, and He wants to show you that purpose. We continue to believe God with you and for you to accomplish that goal. If you're in the area, please stop by. Remember, at Beloved Church, this is the place where you are greatly loved. God bless you. Talk to you soon. So I'd like to get into the message now. So um, hopefully you've transversed all of the the electronical needs uh, for that dynamic of of our service. And I want to go into into the message now of what Resurrection Sunday really honestly is supposed to be. And so I'm not saying this because I have any 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 condemnation or or um, any judgment or. Uh, I am not talking about any other ministry or any other church. I am talking to the beloved family and those that want to connect with the beloved family. This is for us. I'm the shepherd of this house. I have, I have no other places that I have leadership, no other churches that I have leadership in. I can, I, I'm available for opinions, but there is nobody that has to receive any of that. And so I am, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say some things that are gonna be very, very radical. And uh, and if you have a, a divided heart, one of the things that I think is really, really dangerous that the body of Christ has done is that the people of God, because of the access that they have through through YouTube, through Facebook, through through different websites, through literally a Vimeo, through through hundreds of different ways of electronically connecting, we can get messages from from obscure preachers in Sri Lanka. We can get messages from Australia. We can get messages from anybody, anywhere, anytime, 24 hours a day. And what happens is that when people do that, you will create confusion in your heart. You will literally create. It doesn't mean that, that one is right and one is wrong. It means that you are on purpose bringing in two flows and two streams of leadership. And that is divided. When you are divided, you are easily conquered. The enemy would love for you to be divided. Now, I am not saying that everything that goes into your earlobes need to come from my mouth. But I'm saying that there is a, a message. There is a language that we have at Beloved Church. We are a grace church. We believe probably str- stronger than anybody that I have personally ever sat in a church. We believe more strongly in the finished work of the cross than anybody I'm aware of. And I'm not saying that there isn't people that believe it better than us. I'm just saying that this is a core value to what we believe. We believe that we are raising up beloved people, people who are greatly loved. Every message we preach here is going to be instilled with the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the finished work of the cross. 
This is, these are just core values for who we are. And if you go out there and you listen to other folks preach and other messages and you get a little bit of law and you get a, um, a little bit of, of, of hyper faith or anything like that, if there's anything out there that is not necessarily wrong, but it's different, you are going to create confusion in your heart. My encouragement to you is pick a stream, put your boat in it, and ride it to the ocean. Pick a stream. Get in that stream, ride it to the ocean. Our stream, specifically, is, a, is about the fact that we are literally supposed to be maturing and manifesting the full sonship that we've been given by inheritance from our Father because of our big brother, Jesus Christ, making a way where there was no way. We are actually children of God. Like, we don't say it because it's a cool Sunday school song. We are actual children of God. And we should be growing up and maturing into becoming completely manifested sons of God with the full inheritance that is due to us. And because of that, you're going to hear a lot of radical, radical things that for a long time in the body of Christ would have been under the umbrella of blasphemy. But the facts are is that they are absolutely scripturally accurate. And I'm going to do a ton of scriptures. I don't know if I'm going to be able to read them all but I'll give you the references. I will prove beyond the shadow of a doubt with way more than two or three witnesses that these things are true for us here, beloved. Here is, here is where I'm going. That resurrection day, that first resurrection day 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ walked out of a tomb, emptied the tomb, destroyed death, destroyed hell, destroyed the grave, That day, he was not the only one resurrected. That resurrection day was your resurrection day. And I dare say, I am not taken away from any honor or any glory by declaring to you that you need to understand this day should always be the main thing that you should always remember specifically on this day is your identity in the resurrection. Amen. Yes, thank God. Yes, celebrate Jesus and His victory that went before us. But don't ever get it twisted that this day, 2,000 years ago, you were resurrected. And you are never going to die again. I know, radical. But when Jesus defeated death, he didn't defeat death for him. He was never under death. (laughs) Jesus did not have to come from heaven and beat death. He already was above death. He came down here and defeated death, defeated hell, defeated sin, defeated the grave for me and you. That's the gospel. Please go in your uh, in your double-edged sword to John chapter six. We are going to take communion together as a beloved family. So if you are out there and you have the elements, please uh, prepare yourself. If you don't have the elements, scurry off, or send one of your send one of your kids to scurry off. 
and grab the elements because we are going to bring heavenly provision into our our earthly habitation. In John chapter 6, verse 40, this is the Pharisees basically having a whole, the whole chapter, uh, mostly the entire chapter of, of John 6, is the Pharisees fussing with Jesus and having issues with everything he's doing and preaching. And in verse 42, the Pharisees are saying, uh, and they said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know. How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Beloved, I want you to really get this. If you are truly living the Christ life, this should be a normal thing that people use to try to cause um, angst and pain and misery in your life. When people purposefully highlight your humanity, it is for the purpose of judging you, condemning you, and belittling you away from what your true heavenly identity is. Man, I hope that sinks in. When people talk about your personality or your character or your whatever, they are literally on purpose trying to highlight the carnal the natural part of who you are, which means by default they do not understand who you are in the Spirit. One of the, we have this command, as much as we have the command that we're supposed to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, and body, and love our neighbors as ourselves, those are the greatest two commandments in the Old Testament, Jesus said. Later on, he says, a new commandment I give you. He gave it to us in a different way. But the same one that gave us the commandment to love God and to love others, also commanded us in 2 Corinthians 5 that we should henceforth know no man, know, understand, have relationship with no man after the flesh. If the relationships that you have in your life are based upon carnal aspects of people, and part of the carnal aspects of people is their quote-unquote personality, some parts of people's personalities are redeemed and they're beautiful and they're from above and some parts not so much. And for those of you that, that laughed at yourself, you know, <laughs> you know who you are and you know what I'm talking about. Not every part. I know this might be shocking to the, almost the entire internet world, but not every single part of Steve Castle and his, it's almost hard to, to make the joke. Not every part of Steve Castle and his personality is fully and completely redeemed. There's like one thing that I haven't completely fixed yet. I don't, I don't know where my wife is right now, but I'm sure she's smiling. But there are things that are not in alignment with the finished work of the cross and with our heavenly personality that comes from Christ. And you, have you noticed that people tend to look specifically at those things? Specifically. When's the last time someone came up to you and just said, man, I just want to, 
you know, just randomly express to you how uh, how much of a blessing it is that you manifest a godlike life all the time. You, your attitude is is divine. The way you love, the way you know, just most likely, if you're out there, you have probably not had that encounter at least for a long time. That someone just randomly walks up to you. Most of the time, when folks are approaching you about who you are things in your life, they are specifically approaching you about the failures, about the parts that aren't fixed yet, about the parts of your personality that are yet to be divine. This is because we are not honoring the command that the Lord has in Scriptures, which is, henceforth, now we know no man after the flesh. Amen. In John chapter 6, these these Pharisees were literally doing him the exact same way. Isn't this Jesus? Isn't this Jesus from... Go ahead, kid. Isn't this Jesus from Nazareth? Isn't this Jesus, a physical human being, from Nazareth, a literal destination, a literal place with a zip code? If people are not doing this to you, then my encouragement to you is you need to probably manifest your divine life a little better. You should regularly have people say, isn't this Steve from Pearl City? Are you for real? Does anything good come out of Pearl City? That's what they used to say about Jesus. Does anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> if, if folks are not literally like doing the puppy look at you, on a regular basis and saying, wait a minute, you said, you said what? You, your identity is what? You're a son of what? You're seated where? If folks are not doing that, then you are probably not talking, walking, and acting like your Lord. Because this was normal for folks to say, isn't this, don't we know his brothers and his mama? Isn't this that dude that built our kitchen table? <laughs> like, if this is not going on in your life, then there's a lot of opportunity for you to manifest sonship with God. People should be saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Isn't that, isn't that Josiah? Doesn't he deliver water to my house? And he healed my, my daughter from a fever or from COVID? Now, now, which is it? Is it Josiah that delivers water, or is it Josiah that healed my daughter? Yes. Yeah. Is it Steve changing the oil on his truck, all grimed up and dirty and, and sweaty and smelling like not a preacher? Or is it Steve who's seen deaf ears open, blind eyes open, cancers healed? Yes. Yeah. This is, we need to get this. This is what the Pharisees, you know, listen, why? I want you to think about this. Why would the enemy attack the physical, the carnal part to highlight it? Because it's the same thing of what I just told you. It's like that fulcrum. If you are aware of the divine part of someone, you become intimately unaware of the natural part of them. But the more you become aware of the natural part of them, the more the divine part becomes insignificant. 
Henceforth now we know no man after the flesh. Verse 43, Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. You know what he called this? This is interesting. I have to move on. I've got to get, get moving. But he literally called that murmuring. Them highlighting his humanity. Them highlighting his natural genealogy. Jesus called it murmuring. If you remember, murmuring is what killed every single Hebrew in the Exodus. Except for two. Every single Hebrew. Three million people died for basically the same thing. Murmuring. And Jesus calls you calling one another out by the, the physical or natural parts of who they are. Jesus calls that murmuring. Amen. Verse 44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last of day. I'm going to drop this right here. We're going to put a pin here. And we're going to come back. When's the last day? So there's the pin. It's, it's a question. And I want you to be on the back side of your cerebral cortex. I want you to be wrinkling on that. When's the last day? Verse 5. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father comes unto me. Not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God. He has seen the Father. If you're of God, you've seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believes on me has everlasting life. Not will have, has, in possession, on their person, right now. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. Now, real quick, manna was food that God made. Not like little Debbie. You know, it wasn't made by Frito-Lay. It wasn't made by Texas Roadhouse. It wasn't. This was food God made. So I want you to get the significance of what Jesus is saying. God made food, literally made in the heavens. The Bible called it angel food. This manna was literally made in heaven by God himself. And it could not produce life. They had to have it every day. And when it stopped coming, they had to get other food. Now, I know that's radical, but I need you to follow me. If you think that there is something that's going to come down out of heaven, a, a, a blessing of some kind, a, a, a provision of some kind, a, 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 a specific grace that's going to come down out of heaven, and that's going to be what, what makes everything work in your life, then you would be equivalent to 
a Hebrew eating manna. And Jesus literally said that later on, man shall not live by bread alone. It is not about the manna. It was about the man. It is not about the manna. It's about the man. His name is Jesus Christ. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread. The living bread. There is a bread that lives. There is a bread that literally produces life. And then there's heavenly manna that sustains life. And then there's earthly bread that just gives you carbs and probably gives you gas. That's the dynamic of what we've got action to. You got, you got earthly bread. You've got manna made from heaven that sustains life. And then you've got Him. And this is Him. This literally becomes, and I want you to get this, this is not transubstantiation, which is what what Catholics and some other uh, folks believe, that the bread literally becomes the flesh of Jesus Christ. But this is bread that becomes the flesh of heaven. Not the flesh of Jesus as in Jesus of Nazareth on this earth, dying on a cross, dripping blood flesh. This is literally talking about the glorified, perfect flesh of heaven that Jesus, that manna was a type and shadow of. Manna was bread that fell down out of heaven, that people consumed it, and they were sustained. Jesus the real. So manna was a type. Jesus is the real. He is the body that came down out of heaven. And now we get to eat this. And this is going to literally add heavenly substance to the already working heavenly reality in your life. This is why, this is actually one of the things that physically, this can physically alter your body's health. Because you are consuming heaven. You're consuming heaven. This literally can alter. If you have a sickness or a disease that's working in your body right now, a a pain, an ailment of any kind, you can literally eat and expect heavenly realities to manifest in your life. (laughs) Amen. This is the bread of life. It doesn't sustain life. It produces life. One of the things that Jesus did with his body is it became broken. Every time I take communion, I break it. The reason I break it is because he was broken. And so I close my eyes and I break the bread. I remember that he was broken on the whipping post for my sickness and my disease. He was broken on the cross with the nails. That was the law being nailed to the cross. And so he was broken by the law 
so that I cannot be broken by the law. His, his, his flesh was pierced and broken in his forehead with the crown of thorns, specifically talking about the garden and the curse and the fall of mankind that brought anxiety, stress, fear. He was broken for anxiety, stress, and fear. He was broke financially. He hung on that cross stark naked. He had nothing. He had nothing. He literally gave his mother away before he died. The only thing he had left was his mama. And he gave her away before he died. He died completely broke and in poverty in any way you could measure it. He was broken for you in that way. When I break this bread, I see him broken every way that anyone can be broken. He was broken in his relationships. If you have broken relationships right now, you can see his brokenness become your brokenness. His relationships were broken. All of his brothers hated him. His sisters fled. His mom was given away. We have no idea what happened to Joseph. There's a bunch of speculation. And even his buddies... His disciples, the literal guys that were being paid to be on his team, they all fled, except John. And John didn't know what to do with the situation. He was broken in relationship. There is no way that you can run your mind through what Jesus did in his atonement that doesn't show you how broken he became for us. For us. His relationship literally, his, the relationships in his life literally became so broken that even the Father forsook him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When you take this, you are reminding yourself that he was broken for you so you could be whole. You can be whole financially, you can be whole physically, you can be whole be whole uh, emotionally. You can be whole in your family, in your relationships. You can be whole with your Father in heaven. There is nothing that you cannot receive wholeness from when you eat this bread of heaven. And so now I want you to, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to literally on purpose drill down in, in your thinking, in your imagination. I want you to literally go there in a broken place in your life. And when you're there, I want you to take and eat and then watch the Lord usher heavenly realities into that situation in the next five seconds, five minutes, five days, because He purchased that wholeness. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 49, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which came down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. You just ate it and you ushered into your life something that is literally undiable. You've just put heavenly ability 
for death to be destroyed in your relationships, in your finances, in your physical body. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. This bread brought forever life. Forever life. Your relationships can have forever life in them. I take this like over my marriage. And I, and I picture my wife and I say, Lord, I know she loves me and I love her. But I don't love her the way you love her. And I want to love her that way. And I take communion and I usher life into my love. <laughs> and I learn to love my wife more. Love my children more. Love the, love the beloved more. Love the beloved family more. You can, there is nothing that you cannot usher his life into in your existence because it's eternal. The Jews therefore strove among themselves saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Why drink his blood? Why not just be about the body? Because what the blood did, and this is where people get confused in communion. They think that, that the bread is just kind of one facet of the same thing, and the blood is another facet of the same thing. No, these are two completely different things. His body purchased everything that I just talked about. His blood purchased redemption. Because of his blood... You are sinless in the eyes of your Father. You're not even just forgiven. Like, you're sinless. The record has been erased. There is no record. The record was nailed to the cross. It was cast into a sea of forgetfulness, and there is no way that you will ever have a record of sin, failure, mistakes, condemnation, guilt, shame, all of that is washed away in the cleansing flow of His blood. You are made the righteousness of God. Not just righteousness, not just being in right standing with God, not even just being in right standing with mankind, with the laws of of the earth or anything like that. You are literally the righteousness of God. This was unattainable at any time before the blood of Jesus Christ became the sacrifice for all men for all time. If you are right now struggling in some way, dealing with guilt or shame or condemnation, if you, if you think like you're not good enough, if you don't measure up for what the Father desires for you to be, if you've allowed the words, the, the, con, the condemning and evil and wicked words of evil and wicked people to get into your heart or to get into your mind and make you believe even for one second that you don't measure up, that you're not worth the value that the Father says that you are, then you need this cleansing flow. You need to remind yourself that you are not perfect because of you. You are perfect because of this blood. 
You are not sinless because you don't make mistakes. The reason that you stand before the Father sinless, righteous, and truly holy is because of this blood and only because of this blood. It does not matter what man's opinion is of you. It doesn't matter what your boss's opinion is. It doesn't even matter what your spouse's opinion is. Because this cup is stained red because of the Father's opinion of you. This is his opinion. You belong in the family, and you have the exact same DNA as your big brother, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. So when you take this, I literally want you to see it flowing down, top of your head to the bottom of your feet, and washing away forever condemnation, guilt, and shame, either caused by another person, caused by the enemy, or even caused by your own heart. First John chapter 2 says that even your own heart can condemn you. Wherever the source of this condemnation is, you need to take this cup and remind yourself in this moment, and do it often, that you remind yourself that you are fully redeemed. The Father bought you back, and nobody can ever get you again. And when you're ready to wash that away, then take the cup. Praise God. Now back to Luke 24, to the story that we left off. Luke 24, verse 2, And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. This is, just so you know, this is a the reality of the uh, the mercy seat that sat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Two angels that were flanking the mercy of God, the glory of God. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? I, that's one of my favorite statements in the entire Bible. It kind of goes along with the line of what I was just preaching about the fact that henceforth now we know no man after the flesh. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? And I'm going to real quick just drop this on you. Do you think that there's any life in your job or your career? Do you think that you get life from your spouse or from your children or from your parents? Do you think you get life from the government? From a government check? You think you get life from medical science. You think you get life from, from vitamins or minerals or exercise, from living healthy or eating healthy, some dietary restraints on yourself. Do you think you get life from any of those things? The answer is no. Do not seek life among dead things. Life only comes from the author of life, Jesus Christ. And as they were afraid, they bowed down their face to the earth and said among them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee? Let me say this real quick. There's nine times that I've found in the Bible that he specifically annotated not only the way, but the time frames in which he died. 
nine times verbally written down by these guys of when he said it. There's also another uh, eight times, there's about 17 times total, that he alluded to it, where he used kind of a, an allegorical way of pointing to the fact that he was going to die. Let me say this, like these guys were dense. And before you get all judgmental and you want to be the disciples, you, you need to get, like, there's some things that we've been dense to, and I'd even say that we've been dense to it in the body of Christ for 2,000 years. Because what I'm about to say is going to be super radical. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Verse 8, and then they remembered. Hey, for those of you that are out there that are really frustrated trying to talk, pe- talk to people about the stuff, yeah, sometimes they don't get it. Uh, so Jesus preached this message. I can give you nine specific references that Jesus preached this message to the disciples themselves. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be crucified. And three days later, I'm going to be raised from the dead. Nine times that Jesus basically said what I just said. And they didn't get it until two angels preached it. You know, this blesses me as a pastor. As a minister of the gospel, this really blesses me. Because there's things that I've said for years. And then someone will call me up or come over to the house and say, Pastor, I was listening to so-and-so, and they said, yada, yada. And oh my God, it changed my life forever. And I'm like, I've said those exact words like 5,000 times. No, you never said it. They said it. This is the first time I ever heard it. And I'm just like, I'm just like Jesus. Because <laughs> Jesus preached all this stuff, all these times. And these guys totally didn't get it. Until the angels preached it. Interesting. And they remembered his words, verse 9, and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to the I mean, these gals. Sorry, these gals. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women that was Salome that were with him, which told them these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales. And they believed them not. Not only did they didn't believe them, like... (laughs) They literally were like almost making fun of him. Oh, yeah, right. Jesus is raised from the dead. I'm sure. So the guy that we've been hanging out with for three and a half years, he's raised from the dead. I'm sure he's just walking around. (gasps) There he is. No, just messing with you, Mary. He's not here, you fruit loop. These words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Hey, there's hope for you if you're struggling in your faith. (laughs) That was Peter. Then arose Peter and ran into the sepulcher and stooped down and beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. Uh, So Jesus told him he was going to be raised from the dead. The gals show up that he's been, because these gals were with them the entire time. All three and a half years, these gals were with them. So the gals show up and say, hey, we've seen angels. The tomb is empty. Jesus is raised from the dead. Peter's like, ah, you bunch of wackos. And then he's like, hmm, 
I guess I'll check it out. So he runs down with John. You can see this in, in another gospel. He runs down with John, and he goes into the tomb, and he comes out of the empty tomb that has the stone rolled away by some force that had the ability to roll the stone away more than mankind, more than just a human can. All this stuff going on, and then it says he goes away wondering in himself at that which had come to pass. It's like, man, this is an interesting day. <laughs> this is really radical, beloved. This is, this is Steve Castle preaching the finished work of the cross for eight years, and people being like, so you're saying I don't have to be sick? Yes, you, could, you should wonder about that. Go ahead and wonder about the fact that while you're seated in Christ, you don't have to be sick. So you're saying that I can literally live above the influence of sin? Like, I don't have to sin? Nope. Don't have to sin? You can be sin-free. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. So you're saying that other people's opinions and condemnation don't have to affect me? I can actually live above that? Yep. Well, I should wonder about that. And I'm telling you, like, if you can't believe it, at least wonder. And I'm not even, <laughs> I know it sounds funny, but I'm not even poking, I'm like, for real, like, just don't reject it. Just don't throw it away and say, ah, crazy preacher. At least wonder. At least wonder. Peter at least wondered. And 50 days later, Peter was the, was the head of the church. Jesus was the head of the church, but Peter was like the guy. 50 days later. So if you wonder and you let it at least sink down, the Lord's going to give you some additional experiences that is going to make it all worthwhile. So don't reject it. At least wonder. At least wonder. And their words seemed to them as idle tales. And then rose Peter and ran into the sepulchre and stooped down and he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves. That There's a specific sign in there for folks that are um, Orthodox Jews that they understand what that means. And departed wondering in himself at that which had come to pass. Now I'm going to skip through some of this stuff. What had happened here was that there was two guys that were walking um, to Emmaus. Two of these actual disciples. And Jesus himself walks up to them while they're walking to Emmaus. It's seven, uh, it's, it's seven and a half miles to, to be on this walk. And Jesus walks up to them, and he's walking with them. And these guys don't recognize Jesus. And I have some opinions on that. I'm not going to say them right now for it to be recorded because then people are going to get all funky. But the facts are is that the resurrected Jesus Christ was not recognized by his disciples. So if you're out there and you say, well, I would know the Lord if he, if that Lord said that, if that was, if, hey, Steve, if this stuff you're preaching, if it's really from God, I'd know it. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe Jesus could literally be standing right in front of you. Maybe Jesus could look like Ryan Smith and be standing right in front of you and you wouldn't recognize him. It would be scripturally accurate for me to speculate that. 
I wonder how many people literally have probably had encounters with the Lord that they've just completely dismissed. How many times angels unaware? It talks about that in the scriptures, that, that we have angel encounters way more often than we know it. How many times do we have angelic encounters that we just completely dismiss it? Because we are so drilled into the carnality of our lives. So busy about doing what we think is important. These guys walked for three and a half hours. Three hours. With Jesus. Talking about the kingdom. And not for one second did it ever dawn on them that they were with their Lord their Savior, their Master, their Rabbi that they just spent three and a half years with. And so they're walking down this road and the end of the story is um, verse 22 they were talking and they say, yeah, even certain women of our own company made us astonished. Now they, you notice how they changed it? Because when these gals said the story to them, they said that they were idle tales, vain tales. Now they are saying to this guy on the road who they don't know who he is, they're saying, yeah, there were some women also that told us about him being raised from the dead and it made us astonished. No, it didn't, you liars. <laughs> you, you made fun of them. You said they were idle tales. Now you're saying, and it made us astonished. Which were early in the sepulcher. Verse 23, and when they found not his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. And he, Jesus, Jesus, he, Jesus, said unto them, O fools! Um, I don't know what your opinion is of the character and the nature of Jesus, um, but if you think that he's not going to sometimes come into your life and say, you're being ignorant then you don't know the Bible Jesus. You might know like the Sunday school Jesus on the picture on the wall in the back, petting sheep, sitting on a rock with blonde hair and blue eyes. But that's not the actual Jesus. The actual Jesus is standing here, resurrected, fully in glory, and says to his disciples, his people, that he has a great relationship with. You guys are stupid. If the building was full right now, it would still be as silent as it is in this moment. Oh, fools. And, I mean, it wasn't, that wasn't enough. It's not like, hey, you guys are stupid. It's not enough. He takes it, like, to the next level. Hey, um, fools. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He didn't even say all that Jesus spoke. It's like, you guys don't even know your Bible. How often could this be done by the Lord in today's world? I have, I have been shocked at the scriptural ignorance of people that are quick to, to lash out, to throw terrible words, to condemn you know, me and people that I love, especially in this time because we've taken the stance that we've taken um, to, to be a church in a time when the world needs church. And... I've been I have been shocked at the scriptural ignorance that people have. But here's the thing, like he's talking to a bunch of Jews. These guys had to memorize the scriptures before they were 12 years old. They had to memorize the Torah before they were 12. That's part of their bar mitzvah is they had to have the Torah memorized. 
He's talking to guys that had the Torah memorized, and he's saying, you guys are stupid because you don't know the Scriptures. Now, he just didn't show up and say, you guys are ignorant, like I'm Audi. He, he's, he literally drilled down the ignorance that he was calling them foolish about because they didn't know the Scriptures. Now, think about that. How often does this take place in today's world? O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning, and here's where I want you to drill down, the things concerning himself. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to do this real fast. He found himself in the scriptures. That was who he was. John chapter 1 says that the Word became, uh, that the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 17 it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among them. The reason that the Word became flesh was because Jesus found himself in the Scriptures. When you find yourself in the Scriptures, and it becomes more real to you than your fingerprints, than your, than your medical history, than your, your last name, than your great-grandfather's heritage, when you find yourself in the Scriptures, and it means more than all of that, your life will manifest the scriptural reality of who you are. That's a really great place for an amen, all of you that are out there. This is why we struggle in times like this, because the world's coming, and it's telling you who you are what you're going to do, where you're going to go, and what's going to happen in your life. And because the people of God tend to not be found, they don't find themselves in the Scripture, in the infallible Word of God, in the unchanging, in the never-ending Word of God, because they don't find themselves that in, in, in a scripture that every jot and every tittle will not fail, will not in any way pass away, because they haven't found themselves in that eternal place, all of this temporal stuff mounting on top of them is going to pull away their, their faith, their trust, their ability to stand, their grace, their whatever. Jesus found himself in the scriptures and then was able to show his people where he was. And not only should we be able to find ourselves in the scripture, we should be able to show others where we're at. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after the judgment... So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. It's appointed for every man once to die. If you're out there and you've been born above, born again, whatever, made a Christian, saved, if you're born above and you're out there, you've done all the dying you're ever going to do. It is appointed for every man once to die, and then the judgment. If you have accepted Jesus Christ, you have died. And the judgment for your life, for your sins, 
for your failures, for your mistakes, were placed on Jesus and the wrath of God burnt Jesus up and sent him to hell for you. Your judgment is accomplished. Your death is done. One death, one judgment. And they are both done if you're born again. Romans 6. And this is where we're going to drill down. Romans 6. If you do not know Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 8 like the back of your your glorious naked hand, then you need to spend some time in these two chapters. These are two of the most powerful chapters, I think, in the entire Word of God. Romans 6 basically says, I think it says like uh, 27 times, that you're dead, that you were dead, that you died. It uses this language like over and over and over. Here's what I'm trying to get to you on this Resurrection Sunday. Jesus didn't die his death. Jesus died your death. He didn't have to die. There was nothing he needed to die away. He didn't sin. He wasn't sick. There was nothing wrong with his life. He was in perfect communion with the Father. In fact, he said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. There was absolutely nothing that Jesus had to die away except your stuff and my stuff. It wasn't Jesus' death. It was our death done by Jesus. I know you might be thinking this is semantics, but you have got to get this. It was my death that Jesus took for me. It wasn't his death. It was my death. It belonged to me. I earned it. It rightfully was imputed to me. And he took it. Now, most of us can probably wrap our brains around that. If you're out there, you're probably like, "Uh, I get that. He was without sin, but yet he died a sinner. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that we've been made the righteousness of God because he was made the sinfulness of man. That's why we can understand the death that he did for us. But let me ask you this. Why do we stop there? Why do we not understand that his resurrection... That that morning, that resurrection Sunday morning, that wasn't his resurrection. That was yours. This is one of those selah. Going to let this sink down. Some of you out there can get the whole fact that it wasn't his death. It was actually your death. Some of you can get that. But I probably just went way over your head by saying that it wasn't his resurrection, it was yours. That resurrection that took place that morning, that was you. You came out of the tomb. Your father rolled away the stone for you. You've been given a glorified existence. 
You've been given a born-above identity. You have forever defeated death, hell, and the grave because you were in Him when He forever defeated death, hell, and the grave. Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Know you not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death. Now, most people have used these verses, and even I've used them on occasion, to talk about water baptism, but that is not actually what this is talking about. This is talking about being baptized, being immersed, buried in his death. The word baptized just means immersed. Fully saturated, fully immersed. Know you not that so many of us, as we're fully saturated and fully immersed into Jesus Christ, were fully saturated, fully immersed, fully buried in his death. You don't have a memory of it, but you were in the tomb. Wherefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, like as, that like as, like as, is it in your Bible? Like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so. Like as, even so. Like as, even so. His resurrection, your resurrection. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. The way he's walking on the road to Emmaus, knowing who he is in the Scriptures, being glorified, being the, being the victor over death, hell, and the grave, forever destroying sin, forever doing everything that he accomplished in his atonement and in his resurrection. That guy walking the three-hour walk with a couple of guys, talking about all these things that went down. That's exactly how you're walking right now. (laughs) I wish you were here for this. That's who you are. Glorified. Resurrected. Of the God kind. Born above. And yet still in camouflage. Even to the Folks that have known you for three and a half years. Well, if I was glorified like Jesus, if I was resurrected like Jesus, people would know it. I'd glow. There'd be like a halo over my head. Angels would sing. Pixie dust. and No. People would be so unaware of your status that even your friends, your closest, most intimate friends, you could go on a three and a half hour walk with them and they'd just be like, who is this guy? Verse 5, For if we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also, we shall also, we shall also, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. You know what I'm celebrating today? I'm celebrating that however many people, 100 and whatever people are beloved church, 100 and some people are resurrected. Yes, Jesus is resurrected. Yes, he was the firstborn for many brethren. 
But this isn't just his holiday. This is ours too. The word holiday means holy day. It's not just a holy day for Jesus. It's not like he's up in heaven saying, bring on the cupcakes. Make sure that you bring good gifts today because this is Easter. Everybody, make sure you acknowledge how awesome I am. No, beloved. This is your holiday. This is your resurrection day. This is the remembrance that we should all have. Like, this is a holy day. This is the day 2,000 years ago that I came out of the grave. That I came out of the influence of sin. I came out of the influence of sickness and disease. I came out of the influence of poverty and lack. I came out of the influence of everything that this world had for me because I was resurrected by the same Spirit that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead. And now that same Spirit is ushering life into my life. It has given me the opportunity to have the mind of Christ, to have the awareness that my Father has about situations. I can flow in the prophetic. I can lay hands on the sick and see them healed. I can understand the mysteries of my Father. Because I walk in the same resurrection life that my big brother, my Lord, my Savior, the holy child of God, Jesus Christ, did. This is your holiday too. This isn't just about what the Lord did. Because what the Lord did, heaven has record that what the Lord did, it was for you. And if we miss this facet of it, there is going to be no opportunity, no change whatsoever in your life. And that's why God did it. Was for it to change your life. Jesus didn't need to prove that he was above all principalities and powers. He needed to gift it to you. <clears throat> Verse 11, likewise reckon, uh, Romans 6:11. likewise reckon, likewise reckon, likewise reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Likewise reckon, likewise reckon. In the same way, Make an internal calculation. In the same way, you make an internal calculation that you also are indeed dead to sin. And you might be thinking, okay, so I'm dead to sin. What in the world has that got to do with resurrection life? What's it, what's it got to do with, with all of these benefits? Here's the thing. Verse 27 of the same chapter says, the wages of sin is death. So if you are no longer under the influence of sin, that means by default you are no longer under the influence of death. Now, follow me. Death isn't just like getting old and then one day you go into a box, a coffin. Death is relationships falling apart. Death is financially becoming undone, becoming stressed. Death is your body having symptoms of sickness and disease. It is death. It's killing parts of your body. Stress, anxiety, it literally eats your body apart. Even medical science knows that stress and anxiety kills functions in your body. Medical science right now, go look it up. Go Google it when I'm done preaching. You can reduce the immune system in your body by up to 98% percent by getting into fear. Fear is death. 
Stress is death. Financial ruin is death. All of these things are facets of death. And the way that death gets into you is by sin. So if therefore sin no longer has control in your life, sin no longer has influence in your life, if Jesus defeated sin forever and then gave you the victory over that sin, that means by default there's no way death gets there because the only way death got there in the first place was through sin. Because death was the wage that sin paid to people. The uh, contemporary English version says verse 27 this way. In the same way, you must think, consider of yourselves as dead to the power of sin. But Jesus, but Christ Jesus has given life to you and you live for God. The God's Word translation says the payment for sin is death. But the gift that God freely gives is everlasting life found in Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what the message translation says. Now listen to me. I know you probably don't have the message in front of you, so just listen. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer at sin's every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in His life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of the death as the end. It was the end as death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, He took sin down with Him. Praise God. But alive He brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That's what the verses say. Now, if you don't believe me, if you don't think that this is your resurrection, you need to look up Ephesians 1, 17 through 22, verses, or chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You need to look up Colossians 2, 8 through 15, and verses 20 through 23. You need to look up Colossians 3, 1 through 4, and Galatians 2, 19 and 21. Let me tell you what Galatians 2, 20 says. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. But the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. There was a life that I had that was crucified. Now there's a life that I have. Eternal life is something I have that is forever living in resurrection. This resurrection day isn't just Jesus' resurrection day. Beloved, this is your resurrection day. So be alive. Please rise. I would love to bless you with the blessing that we have for all of the beloved. If there's a need that you have, we would love for you to call us, to message us. If you're, I don't know how you're watching this on my page or SCM or Beloved Church or whatever, however, you're, however you're connecting with this or YouTube. Please call us. Please reach out to us. We want to minister, especially in this 
jacked up time that we're living. We, have, we still have the power of God in our hands and in our mouths. And we want to release it into your lives. So please hold out your heart by holding out your hands. And I'm going to pronounce the blessing the Father has for you. Beloved, I pray, I declare, proclaim that above all things, oh, praise God, that you are living in and experiencing divine health, living in and experiencing prosperity. And the way this happens in your life is because of messages like this changing your soul into a prosperous reality in the Scriptures. I declare this over you in the name of Jesus Christ. If you receive that, close your hands, put it in your heart, say amen. I love you so much. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing. I cannot, literally cannot wait to see you again. Hug your neck, kiss your cheek, shake your hand. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.